I'll just start by telling you, my name's Byron Jordan. I'm the uh, pastor of prayer and kingdom diversity here at Fellowship Church. And today, we're going to be talking about compassion in action. Love God, love people with no limits. In a time like this in our society, in our world today, we need more people loving the way that God has actually called us to love one another. To love without limits, to love without boundaries, to love no matter who you are, no matter what your nationality is, no matter what side of the railroad track you grew up on, but to love with no limits. And we are, as a people of God, those of us who are saved, are called to be compassionate people. But that compassion can't just be what we feel. The compassion must be put into action. Otherwise, we're not really being compassionate at all. In fact, to love means to act upon what it is that we are feeling. And for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, if God is in us, then his love is also in us. Therefore, we are compassionate people who ought to be putting the compassion into action. And so today, we're going to talk about a parable of a good Samaritan. Now, good Samaritan is an oxymoron. In this particular culture, to call a Samaritan good was not what you would actually expect because Samaritans were not considered as good people as it relates to this story by Jews. Now, here's the crazy thing about this as I attempt to help you understand the hostility between Jews and Samaritans and how it did not make any sense whatsoever. So the Jews were hostile towards Samaritans because Samaritans were people who were of a different nationality that Jews had married and intermingled with. Therefore, they were ostracized from the Jews and treated as if they were less than the Jews. In other words, racism. But now let me help you understand a little bit better how much this is nonsense for Jews to marry other nationalities, but them to have hostility towards the product. It would be like my daughter marrying someone who's not my race or not our nationality, and they have children, which are my grandchildren, and I hate my own grandchildren because of the blood that's mixed in them. Now, how much foolishness is that? Now, if you didn't really understand what a Samaritan is and how ridiculous this is to treat them the way that they were treated, that's a very good example that might help you understand how foolish it is for them, Jews, to hate Samaritans. But in this story, we find a lawyer who tries to trip up Jesus. He tries to put Jesus to the test now, this man knew the law. He knew exactly what the law said, but he had a problem. His problem was that he didn't want to follow the law, but he was smart enough to recall the law. And so as we look at, sorry, as we look at this, let's look at verse, uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, 
Teach, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law, how do you read it? Now this is Jesus speaking to this man. And the lawyer, and he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, this is Jesus, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Now in this particular discussion here with Jesus, this lawyer has an agenda. It's simply to put Jesus to the test. But he falls short of his own agenda when he asks, or Jesus asks him to state, not only state, but also interpret the law. So you told me what the law says, now you tell me what the law actually means. And so the man recalls from the Shema, which is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5 is what he states, but the Shema is comprised of verses 4 through 9, and so here's what the man says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and then he added this postscript from Luke chapter 10, verse 27, and your neighbor as yourself. So listen, for him to recall that law, what he was recalling was this declaration. And the declaration starts in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, this is a confession of faith uh, in Judaism. This was their confession of faith of their relationship with God. It says the Lord our God in this indicates the people's relationship with the living God. So not only did he state the law, but he also made a statement about his relationship with God, and we all know that God is love. And if you're going to exemplify love, there's no way to exemplify love without knowing God. So the Shema comes from this Hebrew word of the first word in the verse, Shema, which means to hear. And, I, and if, if I may recall a point from Pastor Jonathan's sermon last week, he said, just because you're here doesn't mean you hear. You understand, this lawyer, he heard the word, he heard it enough to know it. He studied the word, but apparently he didn't hear it in his heart. Because this question of who is my neighbor shows us that the Shema tells him what he ought to do, but he himself actually evaded the question. You know, to, to ask the question, who is my neighbor, is more exclusive than it is inclusive. He wasn't trying to better understand who his neighbor was. He really asked the question to find out who is it that he could exclude from being his neighbor. But the Shema says this. 
And here, what it does is within the Shema is found both a fundamental doctrinal truth and a resultant obligation. Once you hear the word, you must also be a doer of the word. In other words, don't just hear it, put it into practice. But this man heard it, he understood it, he studied it, and he knew it well enough to recall it, but he didn't want to put it into action. It's in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Here's the thing that we all have to understand, and this is what I love about diversity. Kingdom diversity, as I'm the pastor of prayer and kingdom diversity, something that is very near and dear to my heart. I taught my children to see people, not see color. Because we celebrate diversity in my family. We don't care where you, what you look like, where you grew up. We just see people because we have the love of God in our heart and we want to love people the way that God loves people. But here, as we seek to be a church that looks like heaven, let me show you what heaven looks like. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, it speaks of the great multitude from every nation. If you look at the beginning of Revelation chapter 7, it talks about the 144,000 from the 12 different tribes. But then later, he saw a, man, a number that no man could number. And it speaks of the great multitude. It says in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, After this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. all sorts of people together in heaven. No one called Samaritan, no one ostracized, no one set aside, but everybody together in unity praising and worshiping the Lord. Which is what God wants us to practice here. And if I might be bold enough to say it, if you can't do it here, you might not be going up there. Because anybody who says they love God but don't have love for their fellow man, they are a liar is what the scripture says. And without love in our hearts, we can't see God. And so we got to practice it down here. We got to get it right down here. It got mighty quiet in here, but that's all right. I'm going to keep preaching anyway. Here's what we got to do. We got to love like Christ. Love all people without limitation. It says in Matthew chapter 25, verses 37 through 40, it says, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You see, we never know when God is giving us an opportunity for us to do good to Jesus himself. We never know when God is giving us that opportunity to speak the gospel, but we don't speak it because we don't go to that particular place. We don't go to that neighborhood. We don't hang out with those kinds of people. We are not 
in that circle of influence. But God says, we got to love all people and love them without limitation. As much as we've done it to the least of them, we have done it to Jesus. But the next thing we have to do is love inclusively. You see, love does not pick and choose who to love. Love simply loves. Doesn't matter who you are. If God lives in me and I have the love of God in my heart, I'm going to love you with all your issues. I may not like your issues. But the Bible calls us to love and to love without limitation, to love people who are, we're not used to being around or used to loving. You know, something about uh, love is that we as Christians, if we love the way that God loves and we really don't want to see people die and be lost and go to hell, then it doesn't matter to us who they are. We'll take the gospel to them at all cost. We'll let that set in for a moment. Because, you know, there, there are some areas that might be a little bit easier for us because that's right within our comfort zone. That's right within the areas that we're already working in. We've got to get rid of the boundaries. Jesus said, as much as you did it to the least of them, you've done it to me. Here's the one thing that I, I understand about coaches. They go after what they want. When they're recruiting, they don't stay at the school and wait on the people to show up to join the team. If they want them, they go where they are and bring them back to them. You see, church, we have a goal of 129 souls to win for Christ this year. You think 129 people are just going to show up in here and say, hey, I was looking for a place and I was looking for Jesus. I want to be saved. No, we have to go where they are and bring them in. And you know what? There are all kinds of people that look all kinds of different ways that need Jesus. They look like the people that we're sometimes not comfortable around. I'll give you my first experience out doing evangelism after I accepted the call to preach the gospel. I would go out on the streets with Brother Ray. God bless Brother Ray. He passed away from COVID last year. But Brother Ray was very, very faithful in going out and sharing the gospel in the streets. And I walked up to two young men that looked like drug dealers, and they looked like if you looked at them the wrong way, they'd shoot you. Really did. And they actually were drug dealers. And when I told them that, you know what? Jesus loves you. And so do I love you, brother. I said, you know what? The only difference between you and me is that I'm a sinner saved by grace. It's not that I'm perfect. None of the people in the church are perfect. We're all people who need the grace of God covering our lives every day. And Jesus saved us from our past sin, our present sin, and our future sin. Which is the reason why we don't lose our salvation just because we struggle, just because we stumble a little bit, and just because we fall and we miss the mark. But we get back up again, amen, church? And we keep on going. And just like in this story, Jesus picks us up and he dusts us off and he gives us a brand new start. 
And when I told those guys that people in the church are just as mixed up and messed up, it's just that we've got the grace of God on our lives and we're trying to do better by the word of God. Those young men looked at me and they said, for real? I said, for real. God loves you. And you're never too far gone from God saving you. I invited them to church. And to my surprise, they showed up. Why? Because the compassion in my heart got placed into action. And the love that God has for all people got shared with them. And they understood love. They didn't understand, put the drugs down and be saved. But they heard love. And it was love that drew them. And church, that's the one thing that we have that the enemy does not have. We have God's love. And Jesus said, by loving kindness have I drawn them. And he wants us to love inclusively. Love all people at all times. Then he says, the next point is that we must love the least even greater than you've ever loved them before. You know, in order to love the least even greater, this would be people who are often outside of our circles of influence. These are not people that we are around all the time. Because, you know, it's easy to, to witness within your own circle of influence. These are the people who know you, the people that you're around. It's easy for me to preach the gospel here because you came here to hear it. But the challenge is to leave from within these walls and go out and share the gospel with people who we don't even know if they'll accept it or not. But it's not for us to judge that. That's God's place to judge that. All we're called to do is share the gospel. And when we share it, we sow seed. Another man waters. But it is God that gives the increase. You see, most of us, we act within our own cultural, societal, socioeconomic and religious norms. We don't always step outside of those norms. But to love this way, we have to be very intentional about who and how we love people. Sometimes we just simply need to be aware of the opportunities to share God's love with people outside of our influence. Here's what Psalm 31 and 1 says. Blessed is the one who considers the poor in the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. Proverbs 3 and 27 says this, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Now I'm gonna read that again because we're talking about compassion in action. Proverbs 3, 27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. There were some things that were in my power to do that I didn't do. And you know the Holy Spirit doesn't let you just rest at not doing what God has asked you to do or called you to do. There was a burden that weighed on me. And there were some things that I was called to do that were inconvenient for me. I didn't want to do it because I had an agenda and it was interrupting my agenda. 
The next point is forego personal conveniences. And I'm going to share this story with you. We need to allow ourselves to be detained for moments that matter. God gave me this opportunity, and I'm amazed at how well it aligns with this message today. I was at the corner of Segan, not Segan, but, but Blue Bonnet and, and uh, Perkins, a very, very busy intersection there. And I typically don't stop in busy places to get gas because I'm one of those persons that when I've got my mind set to do something, I want to do that. Nothing else, don't want to be detained. I just want to get it done. And that day I had to stop because I must have really needed some gas. So I stopped at that corner and knew that it was going to be hard enough to get out of there, to get back onto the road to go do what I needed to do. And as I'm pumping the gas, I noticed that traffic's just piling up constantly. I'm thinking, what's going on? And I looked, and there was a vehicle at the very corner of the intersection that was stalled. This is a hot summer day. Two women and two small children. And I thought, oh, Lord. How am I going to get out of here? God said, don't worry about getting out. I want you to go over there and help them. Now, I don't know what I was doing there. I think I was shopping for something for my wife or a gift or something like that, because that's the only reason why I'd be out there on, near Perkins Road. <laughs> Bless the Lord, she got, she got her gift. But I'm, I'm standing there looking at the traffic, and God says, go help them. Everybody else is going around them. And I noticed that there was one truck that was stopped while everybody else was going around. And by the time I finished pumping my gas, I walked up to the car, and then I saw the two young men, and I asked, do you know what's wrong? They couldn't speak English. Now, as busy as that intersection was, I'm sure there were a lot of English-speaking people who were Americans that passed around these two ladies with these two small children in their car. But people who were not even from our own country stopped, couldn't speak the language, but did whatever they could to try to help these women. And I thought to myself, and, and this is at the peak of some of the, 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 the most racial turmoil that we've had in our nation going on. And I said, God, I see what you're doing. I see the example here. People that we built walls to keep out are here in our country, yet helping our people. Just like the priest and the Levite in this story, as I move on, because I, I jumped into my points, I'm going to read the rest of the scripture for you. That would be nice, wouldn't it? In verse 30, Jesus replied, if you mind going back, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. 
He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. It's amazing how the two people that represented the church, the priest and the Levite, take a wide berth to go around the one who was hurt. Instead of showing compassion and going there to help, and here's the thing about inconvenience. There was a law that said that if a priest or a Levite touched a dead corpse, they would have to go through a ceremonial cleansing before they could minister in the temple anymore. But they could have at least, without even touching him, at least got close enough to look and see if he was alive. But they didn't do that. They avoided him. And sometimes, church, if we're not careful, we'll do the same thing because of inconveniences in our lives. Just like me, my heart wanted to help them, but it was an inconvenience because I don't like traffic and I just wanted to get to where I was going. But God had to speak to me by way of his Holy Spirit. Because in and of ourselves, we don't always want to do what God wants us to do. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to speak to us, and we need to listen and yield to the Holy Spirit. But as I helped these ladies and saw these two young men who couldn't even speak my language, I thought, God, I see what you're doing. I, too, have to consider the fact that one day that could be my wife, stranded. And the same thing that I would want people to do for me, I ought to be willing to do for them. You know, there's a verse in the Bible, it talks about give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over shall men give into your bosom. And some people have taken that verse to mean that, oh, if I give more, then I'm going to get more. Really what that verse simply means is that if you are kind to others, that kindness will return to you. What you do for others, if, if, if you give when someone else is in need, more than likely when you're in need, people will see that you have been a compassionate and a generous person, and they would be more willing to give to you. And the truth of the matter is, these young men who couldn't speak the language were just willing to help, no matter what the cost was to them. So we ought to allow ourselves to be inconvenienced from time to time. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, there are times when my face don't always say, yes, I'll help. Because sometimes life's burdens can weigh heavy upon us, and our our face doesn't always reflect 
what our heart is willing to do. Charles Swindoll wrote this devotional that, devotional that I want to share with you. It's called A Yes Face. During Thomas Jefferson's presidency, he and a group of travelers were crossing a river that had overflowed its banks. Each man crossed on horseback, fighting for his life. A lone traveler watched the group traverse the treacherous river and then asked President Jefferson to take him across. The president agreed without hesitation. The man climbed on, and the two made it safely to the other side of the river, where somebody asked him, why did you select the president to ask this favor? The man was shocked, admitting he had no idea it was the president of the United States who had carried him safely across. All I know, he said, is that on some of your faces was written the answer no, and on some of them was the answer yes. This was a yes face. His face was a yes face. And church, I must confess that sometimes I can get frustrated, I can get upset over some things. The truth of the matter is my heart always wants to help people, but my face may tell a different story. So church, I want to challenge you today. As children of God, as those of us who are saved and say that we have the joy of the Lord's salvation inside of us, let us from this day forward allow that joy to exude from us. Let us this day show forth the joy of our salvation on our faces so that when people who are in need of help will see a yes on our face. When someone wants to know if someone would take the time and answer a question, let our faces say yes. I'm willing to listen and answer. Because you never know, that question might lead into a discussion on salvation. You see, in doing this, we often have to get our hands dirty. You get your hands dirty by putting your, your action behind your compassion. You see, compassion goes beyond pity. Compassion invokes action. This Samaritan put his compassion to action. There's a gentleman that spoke something that's another oxymoron. And when he said it, I kind of chuckled in my spirit because I totally understood what he meant when he said it. The words are good trouble. When he said good trouble, I knew exactly what he was talking about. Good trouble is an oxymoron that simply means do good even when it's not popular or results in being inconvenienced. There's a picture I want to show you of the late congressman, John Robert Lewis. He was a civil rights activist. He's also a congressman in the United States who recently passed away. The gentleman standing next to him and his wife are personal friends of me and my wife that we met in Missouri at the church that we attended there. And that young man went through a, a traumatic experience in his life. His first semester in college, 
his parents were tragically killed in a car accident. The trauma to his mother's head was so great that they couldn't even have an open casket funeral. But Brother Eric Harris went on to law school, got his law degree, and is now residing in Washington, D.C., working as a U.S. senator. And here's, here's the important part about this picture, is when I wrote that, my point about good trouble, I kind of wrestled with that, because I am not a political person at all, and I needed some confirmation that it's a good point to make and it goes well with this, but God, I need you to show me that you want this point to be made. And lo and behold, just last week, I saw a Facebook post from Eric. And I jumped on Facebook, because I don't do Facebook a lot, but I just, just so happened to be looking at it. And I happened to see that picture. I thought, well, thank you, Lord, for the confirmation. Because Congressman John Robert Lewis found himself, and he called it, good trouble that he got into. And here's what he said when he was speaking at the Rosa Parks Center. Center, 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 excuse me. The late John Robert Lewis said, Rosa Parks inspired us to get in trouble. And I've been getting in trouble ever since. She inspired us to find a way, to get in the way, to get in what I call good trouble, necessary trouble. She kept on saying to each one of us, you too can do something. And for people, and that's what I love about it. She didn't make any descriptions about the people. She didn't delineate about which people she was talking about. She just simply said, and for people, if you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, do something. We cannot afford to be quiet. Church, we can't afford to be quiet. There's a world of people out there hurting, a world of people who are dying. And just like this Samaritan, he saved a man's physical life. But who knows whether or not that man knew God or not. And the truth of the matter is, church, we have life in us and we have life in our testimony the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came and died for the sin-sick world to save all mankind. And there is something that we can do about it. We can do something and not keep quiet. We have to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost. There are so many people out there that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the truth of the matter is, people might be moving, they might be living, they might be breathing, but a soul without salvation is just like the walking dead. And the truth of the matter is, if we believe that anyone who does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior is bound to die and go to hell, why are we okay with not sharing the gospel with any and everybody that we might think does not know Jesus Christ. Church, we've got work to do. There's 129 souls that we have as a goal to reach this year. And guess what? Just like the coaches who recruit 
who know the players are not just going to show up, we've got to go out there and get them. We've got to go out there and share the gospel with them. There are some people who have gotten into some good trouble for the good of the people. There are some teachers who have stood in their faith, some teachers that have prayed for some students, some teachers that have witnessed to some students that got in trouble, good trouble, as John Lewis would call it, for the good of those students to share the gospel with them. They lost their jobs. They ended up in court. But they got into good trouble for the good of the people. There's another group of people that have gotten into some good trouble. Missionaries who leave their homes and go out to foreign countries, places where Christianity is met with great hostility, put their lives on the line for the good of the people, to take them the good news of the gospel. Oh, but in Acts chapter 5, verses 41 through 42, the apostles counted it great joy to suffer for the cause of the gospel, and they continued preaching and teaching in the temple from house to house. They continued to get into good trouble for the sake of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, there's another one that got into some good trouble. His name is Jesus. And so church, I'm going to ask you to consider getting into good trouble because Jesus did it for you. And I'm going to try to hold it together here at Isaiah 53 because it tells us what sacrifice our Jesus made for us. The trouble that he got himself into, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he knew they were coming to arrest him. But yet and still, he didn't waver. He held to the truth of who he was, and he knew that he was going to a cross to die for the good of the people, but Jesus got into good trouble to bring us the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 5, it says, y'all pray for me, because every time I talk about what Jesus did for me, I know where I was, and I know how lost I was. You know, my God, and I know where I could have been. And Isaiah, he says this, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, my God, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus got into good trouble to bring us the good news that salvation belongs to every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, no matter who you are, no matter where you came from, no matter what your race, your nationality is, he brought us good news. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
And here's one thing that we must understand in this, is that our great Jesus is coming back for us. He didn't just go away. He didn't just save us, but he's coming back. Just like this Samaritan who saved this man from the side of the road, put him up, and he paid the price for him to stay. Jesus paid the price for us. This Samaritan man returned to check on this man that he rescued from the side of the road. And Jesus, too, is coming back for us. And you see, compassionate people don't just show up. They also follow up. And just like this man went back to check on the one who was laid on the side of the road, church, let me tell you something about salvation. I was one of those who gave my life to Christ. I said it with my mouth. I believed it in my head. I didn't believe it in my heart. But it wasn't until someone followed up with me and helped me understand what it was that I had actually done. Then they began to help me walk this new life that I confessed with my mouth and believed in my head. But the follow-up helped the word of God take residence in my heart. And church, when we go out and we share the gospel with people, it's not enough just to show up. We've got to do the follow-up. We've got to do the discipleship of those people. That's what discipleship is. It's following up and walking people through their new life in Christ. And church, as we go forward in this day and in this time, let us be a people who are not just hearers of God's word, but people who do what the word of God says. Because once we've heard it, there really is an obligation for us to do what the word of God says. Put our compassion into action. Love God and love people without limitations. There may be someone here who after hearing this message, the gospel has come to life to you today. And perhaps you thought that you weren't good enough, good enough to be saved because you've got some stuff going on in your life. And you maybe think that you've got to clean it all up, you've got to get it right before you come to Christ. But let me tell you something. I was so messed up when I came to Christ. And the truth of the matter is, that's one of the prerequisites, is that you're messed up and you're hopeless and you're helpless and you're in need of a Savior. So you're in the right place to come to Jesus. So if the enemy has been telling you and telling you in your mind that you're not good enough to come to Jesus, you've got too many issues, you've got too much stuff wrong with you, you're the right kind of person that Jesus wants. Because all of us in this house that call ourselves saved, we were right there where you are. We were messed up, we were hopeless, but God accepted us. And I'm going to ask every believer in this house to bow your head and begin to pray for the salvation of anyone in this house who does not know Jesus Christ. And for the person who you know that the Spirit of God is speaking to you today and calling you unto salvation in Christ, I'm going to ask that you simply raise your hand, that I might pray with you and lead you in the prayer of salvation. Is there one here today who desires to come to know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior on this morning?
Amen. If you want to have a conversation about that, I'll be standing here to your right and to my left of the stage. Let us pray. Dear Father, we're so thankful. Thankful, Lord God, that your love and your compassion showed up for us when we were lost and we were hopeless, without life. Your great love was put into action by Jesus dying on a cross. And Lord, without him, none of us would ever be able to see you. But God, you redeemed us, and we're thankful for that. And for anyone today who's struggling with putting compassion into action, I pray, Father, that you would touch the hearts of your people as we fellowship church, our church, who desires to be a church that looks like heaven on earth. Father, I pray that you would awaken our hearts, Lord God, to go back and to go out and do those things, Lord God, that show forth your love amongst your people without boundaries and without limitation. Lord, let us not just have heard your word today, but let us also be doers of your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, today we kick off...